Good morning. My name is Janice. I am one of the staff pastors here at the Vineyard, and I am so pleased to be bringing, uh, what are we on, number three in this series on Nehemiah. We are preaching our way through Nehemiah. That's what our small groups are doing. If you're not in a small group, Pastor Joe would say you're going to hell, but not really. But there are still options for you. If you... um, not away from hell, but there, if you want to be in a small group, get on the website and there are still some openings there. We'd love to get you in on the rest of this. This will go up through the holidays. But um, we are studying the book of Nehemiah and um, this week, if you're taking notes and want a, uh, a title for the message, here it is. We're going to call this The Big Ask. The Big Ask. I'm going to try really hard to enunciate. Okay. If I don't enunciate well, just please know that's not my native language. I'm trying really hard to enunciate, and you know we're not just saying welcome to the vineyard and whatever happens. Um, no, um, so here's a quick recap to get you up to speed in case you're new or or you don't know where we're at in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is about a man who is in exile from his homeland. He is serving in the palace of the Persian king. And he gets word through his brother that the homeland is in distress, that the the exiles who've moved back home are discouraged, they're in distress, and the wall around Jerusalem is broken down. Okay, so that was our first week where we talked about recognizing that there is a problem. And then the next thing was this whole uh, chapter, which is a a really long prayer that he uh, wrote because he fasted and prayed, and it was his response to this misery, right? That, you know, oh my word, life is so hard, what, you know, he's, he's just overcome by this. But I think that this is the most pivotal chapter, the most pivotal moment in this whole book, because if we don't have this moment, the rest of the book doesn't happen, and I don't think we'd be studying it. It would be like, oh my, something really bad has happened. That makes me really sad. The end. You would have nothing more. You would have, no, you have to get to this place of now what? What are we going to do about that? And our pastor talked about that last week, about what does it take for you to, to actually step up and do the thing that God is asking you to do? And we're going to, so this is kind of a part tour on the asking part. And, um, and I think it'll make sense as we go. All right. Are you ready for some scripture? I'm going to tag the last verse that he used last week and carry on. So we're going to be starting in Nehemiah chapter 1, 11, and rolling on into chapter 2. All right. Now, this is the last sentence or two in the prayer that Nehemiah is praying. He's been praying, and this is what he says. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, that means me, to the, your, to the prayer of me and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant, me, give me success today by granting him, meaning me, favor in the presence of this man. What man? Then you have this weird little statement. I was cupbearer to the king. Give me success today in the presence of the king, right? In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing more than sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I missed it. Uh, Lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, another quick prayer, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. 
Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, which I love. It's the only place she's mentioned, and I just think it's important. I don't know. I, her affirmation, it just feels like they worked as a team a little bit. The queen, queen sitting beside him and asked, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governor of the trans-Euphrates so that they may provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah, and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. And so I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. All right. So as I was studying this and thinking about the, the big ask, and, and the question I want to put before you before we even really dig in is, think about a time in your life when you almost didn't ask for something, and because of that, you nearly missed out. If you had not asked, you would have missed out on something amazing. And maybe the first thought comes to mind, at least for the males in the room, you know, perhaps it was actually asking for your wife's hand in marriage. Maybe it was a proposal. I happen to love the fact that regardless of how crazy our society gets or whatever, we still seem stuck on this idea that, you, you know, you get on a knee, buddy. You know, you, maybe you pick the ring out together, but, you know, get on the knee and, and ask me. Somebody after last service goes, no, no, that wasn't the hard part. We sat beside each other and I said, hey, do you want to marry me? He said, the hard part was asking your parents whatever, the big ask. There, there can be some big asks in your life. And if you, you know, regardless of how shy you are, if you don't pony up and do that, you're going to miss out on something. You're going to miss out on something really fabulous in your life. You may have to, to actually do that. And so I want to think about what it took for Nehemiah to get to this point. Now, Last week and, and in the earlier part of this chapter, we understand that he fasted and prayed and mourned and grieved many days. Now, how many days would that be? We don't really know. Well, now we do know. Because what I just read to you talks about the month of Nisan. And earlier, we learned about a different month, which demonstrates that there is about, from Kislev to Nisan, is about three months. Depending on which day of the month that falls, maybe three to four months' time. That's how long Nehemiah has been bearing the weight can I use that word? Bearing the weight of, of what has happened and whether or not he's going to get involved. He's been thinking about this. Later on in the, in the chapter, he'll say something about this thing that God put on my heart. So for those three to four months, God put this on his heart. And can I say for our, your very first point, number one, when God is prompting you to do something, it won't leave you. When God is prompting you to do something, it will not leave you. It, it is there. It is this persistent sort of thing. Some asks are better than others, but a big ask can require patience and preparation. You know, for me, I, um, I can jump from one idea to the next way too fast. You know, I don't think I have attention deficit disorder, but I can, I can just move, I can forget things faster. Like where I put my phone, it's common in my home. It's one of the most commonly stated things in my home. Do you know where my phone is? Can you call me? Right? I say that all the time. And it drives my dear husband crazy. But you know what? It's, and he married me without knowing this terrible fault because we didn't have phones back then. 
So, oh well. Now here we are, right? So I can lose my phone. I can, I can miss an exit. I can forget my grocery list, which is on my lost phone. All of these things I can get distracted by, right? I, I can forget the things that I need to remember and remember the things that I wish I could forget. But when I'm prompted to do something, when I wonder, I'm like, God, are you, are you asking me to, to get involved in this situation? Are you asking me to move forward in this direction? I'll just say out loud, God, if that's from you, don't let me forget it. Keep bringing it back to mind. Keep bringing it back to me. And if it keeps nagging, now I'm not talking about being nagged by a common temptation. I'm talking about knowing that God has something that you're feeling a little provoked about whether or not this is a a thing for you to get involved in and you just can't get away from it. That's what God does. And some of the big asks, some of the big moments that we make in our lives are, are some of those things. It takes time. Now, when that happens, I want to lean into those things. I want to lean into a big ask. Not because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of what's going to happen, but sometimes I have asked for things that I haven't thought out very well. And I don't mean from God. I mean from someone else, from someone in authority. I need, somebody's, I need somebody to say yes about something, right? And I haven't thought it out very far, and I approached them too quickly. <laughs> and, and either I got a no too quickly because I didn't have enough things in order, I didn't have enough ammunition about whatever it is, or, or I didn't get everything that I needed because I wasn't prepared. I hadn't done that. Sometimes when we're getting ready for those things, this is not a time of Nehemiah being lazy. This is a time of him lingering. Some of you guys, may, maybe you know that we have a prayer team. You'll see them up here at the end of the service, but they also come early before first service and they pray over whoever's speaking. And uh, the people who prayed over me this morning, somebody said, uh, I just have a word for you that I got this morning from God, and I don't know if it has anything to do with the, the sermon or, or means anything. I just got the word linger. I said, yeah, that's kind of the first point. That's it's kind of it. You're it. You heard from God today. The idea of linger. Now, don't, not being lazy when God's prompting you to do something and you're not moving on it, I'm not saying you're just being lazy. Sometimes you just need to linger in that and be certain of what you're doing, and that's what Nehemiah is doing, right? And so, uh, so he needs to ask for something. Now, I, as I said in the, in the earlier service, I, I was raised in a tradition, a family culture where asking was not encouraged. It was considered inappropriate to ask for things right? As a matter of fact, my father, he was a farmer, but he had really strong opinions about whether or not you should even ask for a raise. He said, you should never ask someone, an employer, to give you extra money. You should just do a great job, and they'll notice you, and they will give you a raise. They will take, they will notice that, that, you know, a good employer will not take advantage of a worker, would continually move you up. You should never, and he was annoyed if anybody ever asked him for a, a, a raise. And, and so I grew up under that idea that it was inappropriate to ask for things. And so I think it translates into my relationship with God. I struggle sometimes to ask God for stuff. I'm like, you know, I think you, God, can you just notice that I'm doing a good job and then, you know, and, and give me a merit raise or something? I don't know. You know what I mean? Instead of saying, God, this is, this is maybe what I think I need to be doing. And can you move me forward in this? As I began to look into Scripture, I realized that the way I was raised doesn't fit Scripture at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about asking a lot. 
a lot. There's so many scriptures, I couldn't pick any for you, so I made a list, and I'm going to throw them up here on the screen, and you're welcome to pull out your phones and take a screenshot, and you can look them up at your leisure later, right? If you're, you know, you want any more validation in this idea of God, or Jesus actually, in the New Testament, encouraging people to ask. Here's just a few things. Matthew 7, 7 is, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Uh, the next one, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Then another one, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. There are all these different places that God is just saying, come on, you need to ask. It's okay to do that. You get zero mansion upgrades in heaven. You get zero heaven points for being too humble to ask for stuff. You really do. Right? And so I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, well, it depends on what you ask for. Because isn't there that verse in James that tells you if you ask amiss? Yes, there is. So let's go there. James 4, verses 2 and 3. New International Version says it this way. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you, do, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So again, we're kind of back to you should have asked God. But when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So what is it that you really want? How do you know if the Father loves you? I want to tell you that no one has ever gotten in trouble with God for asking too much. Do you know why? Because he's a really good father with good boundaries. You have never, ever been able to whine and manipulate God into giving you something you shouldn't have. He's not, gonna, he's not hushing you up in the Walmart checkout line going, just don't make a scene, have a lollipop. He's never been that kind of a father, right? We've all been there. We're like, whatever it takes to shut this kid up and so that I'm not embarrassed. God is not embarrassed by our asking. He's really not embarrassed by our fits. He's not embarrassed by our tantrums. He can say no. So you can feel free to ask because he's really good at boundaries. He's really good at saying no and not doing it. So when James says that we ask and we don't receive because we ask amiss, that isn't a threat. I think it's an explanation of why something doesn't happen. I just think it's an explanation of why you might get a no. Ah, that really wasn't good for you. Or you maybe had poor motives in that. That's okay. But some of us, are I'm, I'm speaking to myself, want to play the humble card or the martyr card or the pity card. I don't deserve it. I really don't need that. It's not important enough to God, which might actually be insulting to the God of the universe. I know as you know, a parent, I would be insulted if I had a kid that thought that way. But maybe it also comes out of your background. You might have grown up in a home where asking a parent for something, a parent who wasn't capable of giving it to you right? A parent who was, you know, dysfunctional to the point that they couldn't have given it to you anyway, incompetent or absent or uncaring. Do not use that lens to view God. Don't use that lens in order to frame the way God thinks. God is neither incompetent. He is not powerless. He is not uncaring. I'm using lots of double negatives. He's not abusive. He doesn't use us. God has all the great parenting qualities, right? He's present. He never abandons us. He's capable. He's loving. He protects us, which means he offers boundaries. He's unconditional with his love. He corrects us when we need to be corrected. He's hopeful. He anticipates our return even when we sin. He provides for us and he cares about our desires and invites us to ask. Number two, 
If the first ask takes patience and preparation, I think the second thing about a big ask is a big ask requires courage and clarity. Courage and clarity. I love this line that the king gives him. The king said to me, what is it you want? What is it that you want? This, does this not remind you of Jesus? When Jesus looked at people that he was healing and he's like, what do, you, what do you want? What is it that you want me to do for you? Do you want to get well? And I always thought that was such a crazy question. I'm like, if I'm sick, who doesn't want to get well? What an odd question. Of course I want to get well. What other option could there be? But maybe he's asking, are you ready to be well? Are you sure? because it's going to change your life. See, when somebody has been accustomed to being a blind beggar and having no way to support yourself except to sit at the edge of the road and to beg from other people because you can't function like they do, and now you can function like them, guess what you have to do now? You need to get a job. You need to get a job. You're not begging anymore. Nobody's giving to well-seeing people pretending to be blind, right? That's not going to work. So sometimes when we are getting well, sometimes the things that we're asking for are going to change our lives and we're not always ready for the ramifications of that. We're asking for something big. I want to be married, but am I ready to be married? Do you know what I mean? There, I mean, it's going to change your life. There's things that are going to happen. So maybe we, the questions are, are you really ready to not be a victim anymore? Are you ready to get a job and contribute to society? Are you ready to not lean on brokenness as a crutch? Sometimes we get so accustomed to our pain that it just kind of becomes part of our identity, and Jesus is offering freedom. He's offering freedom, and he's saying, you can ask for that. Do you want that this morning? Do you want the freedom that God has for you? So sometimes, again, we haven't thought through the ramifications of receiving all of that. And I have to wonder if Nehemiah has done that. I wonder if Nehemiah, he had three or four months to think about it. I wonder if he recognized how drastically his life was going to change and what the challenges were that were coming down the pike. Think about it. Buckle up, Nehemiah. You are now relocating. You have a large assignment that will come with a lot of opposition. I've read ahead. A lot of opposition. You, like Moses, are going to be faced with inspiring a discouraged and displaced and disgraced group of people who do not have the confidence to make a big ask or even contribute to the work. Frankly, it's like you just got this huge coaching position with this bottom tier team. <laughs> you got a lot of work to do, guys. There is a lot to be done there. You're going to have to rally the troops. You're going to have to help them fend off their enemies. You're going to be faced with manipulation, coercion, and lies about you and your motives. Are you sure you're ready to sign up for this? might have been easier to just serve in the palace for the rest of his days. Friends, a big ask comes with challenges, and some of us are too weak-willed and lazy to even make that ask because we don't really want our lives to change that much. So this morning, where in your life do we prefer comfort? Where in our lives do we prefer comfort over asking God to help us make a difference? Where are we busy trying to eliminate stress and manage our life instead of embracing a God-prompted challenge that he's laid on our heart? Folks, so, many, so much of our lives and so much of our churches, I, I heard a pastor say, this is not a self-improvement program. Church is not here as a life enhancement program to make you all help you do your, your work better. That's not the job. 
That's not the deal. There's going to be challenges when we're actually doing what God has asked us to do, when we're actually putting our hand to the plow, and we're actually trying to bring more people to come to a saving knowledge of who he is and to grow in him. Folks, we get a lousy 80-plus years on the planet. 80-plus years on the planet. What has God uniquely positioned you to do? Uniquely positioned you to do, and what is he stirring your heart to do? This might be a season of action. It might be a season of preparation. It may be a time of mourning, counting the cost, making lists, thinking the whole thing through. Or it may be time to go into the king's chamber and ask. It might be one of those. Which is it? Nehemiah spent three months compiling this list. He had a plan, and now he's ready to make the big ask. And we know this because at the very end, he says, Give me success today as I go in to visit the king. So let's talk a little bit about what Nehemiah is doing. Nehemiah, we learned this last week. If you were there, you heard this, that Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king. And it's not just a single position where he carries one little cup to the king and he just sits there as his little personal servant. No, it was a high-ranking position, which meant he was in charge of all of the wine and serving all of that in the royal court. So he was administrating on a pretty high level. He had to be super trustworthy. He was very close to the king, probably came in contact with him every single day, every single meal. He knew the king's allergy list. He knew the I can't stand avocado list. He knew all of the things about the king. And so he's in proximity to him all the time. Now listen, when you're close to someone in power, you cannot ask for something every day. <laughs> right? Nehemiah has influence, but influence is currency. And, it's, and as such, you can spend it. So once you've spent your currency, pretty soon your wallet is empty. So that one of the reasons I think Nehemiah has success in his big ask is that he doesn't use it loosely. He doesn't do that often. He waits until it was important enough. He's going to walk in the door and say, now I'm going to leverage my friendship, my, my relationship, we can call it that, with the king, and I'm going to address this in this way and see if that's going to work. Now, I, I'm not saying that Nehemiah was acting all of this time, but can we just suggest that for three and a half months he is hiding the fact that he's sad. He's been hiding that from the king. So he has been in there faking it a little bit. He's been faking the idea that he's okay. Some of us are doing that. Some of us are living in this world where we're kind of pretending we're all okay. Nothing's going wrong. It's all right. Nothing's, nothing's happening, right? When some of us are feeling really desperate inside, it looks okay on the outside, you know, you're driving the right cars and, you know, you, you got food and your kids look great and everything looks great, but you know that you're dying on the inside and he's, he's been holding it together. And so now he goes into the king and he's as honest as he's ever going to be. And I don't think he just went in and decided to pretend and to grieve and cry a, a river for him at that time. I think he decided to finally go in and be honest and say, this is where I'm at. This is, this is what I'm feeling. This weight has been on me and I haven't been able to share it with anybody. And now I'm going to do that and I'm going to, I'm going to decide. So when the king says, what do you want? He's ready. And here's his list. I need a leave of absence. I'm going to be gone for a while. He needed to know that they're like, how long are you going to be gone, buddy? You better have an expectation. You need a leave of absence. He doesn't know it yet, I don't think, but he's going to be gone for years. Even though the wall only takes 52 days to be, to be built, he is gone for years. Number two, he asks for protection. Can I have letters from the king for, as I travel through hostile territory so that I will be protected? He's asking for legitimate protection. I'd really like to not have my head chopped off before I get there. 
And then number three, he's asking for resources from the royal forest. From, he wants timber, right? For the gates, for the walls, and his personal residence. So he is staying long enough to build himself a place to be, right? He knows what he needs. He is super specific, and he has committed it to prayer. And now he's ready for the answer. Clarity is a gift. In every relationship that you have, from your spouse to your boss, to your employees, to your coworkers, to your fellow students, to your professors, clarity is a gift. The more clear you can be, the less ambiguous you can be, the easier it is for people to deal with you and to give you a straight answer. I'm going to confess to you right now, I struggle with this. I consistently hope and work toward being more clear in my communication than I am. But it's not because I'm trying to just be a tool. <laughs> the reason some of us aren't clear are a couple of reasons. Sometimes we're still processing out loud when we're asking, and we should have waited. <laughs> We should have waited until we had really worked it through before we addressed somebody with something. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes we're being unclear because we're protecting ourselves. We're like, you know, can you imagine if Nehemiah went in there? Well, I'm kind of sad about Jerusalem. It'd be, it'd be kind of awesome if somebody could go and maybe, you know, they could fix it. And I don't know. You know what I mean? And they're just being ambiguous instead of having him say no. You're hoping he'll pony up an offer, right? Sometimes I, I approach people that way. I don't want to make a straight ask because I don't want to hear the no, right? And sometimes people are just flat afraid to commit to a plan of action. We're like, I, I, don't, I don't know what the plan is. No, Nehemiah was clear. A big ask needs clarity. Nobody wants to be asked to marry them and have somebody go, you think you might want to marry me someday in the future and we'd think about it? And what? You know, no. Do you want to marry me or not? Say so. You know what I mean? Lay it on the line. You know what I mean? Not you or, you know, three other guys. Which is it? You know, decide what you're doing. Being super clear is great. So sometimes those are things get in the way of what we're doing. I actually love, and, and this, is, this is clear, believe it or not, I love the leadership strategy that says, go with your sevens. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not. I didn't know what it meant at first, but the idea was that if you're out of, out of one to ten, if you're 7% sure of something, go with that. If you wait till you're a 10, if you wait till you are 100% sure of a course of action, by the time you actually take the action and you've eliminated every possible way that it would fail, you're too late. A good leader never waits that long. And on the other hand, if you would go with your fives, you're still like, eh, might win, might fail, I don't know. You go with your fives and you're still a pretty good chance it's not going to fly. No, go with the sevens. You're in the majority, still a chance it ain't going to make it, Good leaders move forward with the sevens. They're decisive, and they move forward with a seven with clarity. Be courageous and clear. Number three, a big ask can exceed expectation. A big ask can exceed expectation. While it isn't really part of his request, Nehemiah will actually end up being the governor of this region. I don't see that anywhere in what he's asking for. He will end up being given the governorship. The king places him in there as the governor for years over this region, way more than he anticipated. You know, these days when you get a job offer, it's, it's common for you to counter. 
You know, and it, say, you know, somebody's offering you a certain salary and you're like, well, I want more than that. But if I tell them exactly what I want, they'll split the difference. So let me go high let me, and let me negotiate high and maybe they'll split the difference and end up where I want to be. I don't think Nehemiah is doing that. I don't think that that's, that's what he's doing. Instead, he goes in there. The king gives him exactly what he wants plus, plus the governorship plus the cavalry, plus officers. He didn't ask for those guys. He got all kinds of things he had not counted on, right? We are so limited by what we think God will do. We're so limited when we approach him, when we're afraid to ask him for something, because I think sometimes if I ask God for that, I'm like, well, if I was God, I wouldn't give you that. So, you know what I mean? I don't know. Why would God give me that? Because I don't think that's a good idea either. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're limited by our own stinginess about what we think God will do. Don't limit yourself on what you think God cares enough to give you. You don't know. You honestly don't know how much God wants to bless you or use you for the kingdom. Or maybe this is the problem. Maybe your soul is too tender to hear a no. And you don't make a big ask because you're like, oh, I just can't, I just don't want that rejection. I've heard him say no too many times, and I'm just not sure I can do it. Our capacity to ask for something is directly connected to our capacity to receive the word no. It's directly related to that. Maybe you worry that you're being too self-centered by asking for something that you want, and so you're just like, oh, I don't know about that. Think about this. Maybe it's more narcissistic for you to protect yourself and never ask. Maybe that's the narcissism, that you just don't, you can't stand being hurt, so you're not even going to ask anybody for anything. Here's the thing. If we avoid the big ask because we expect a no, you might miss out on something amazing. You might miss out on the entire project that Nehemiah is known for that we're now studying all these thousands of years later. This comes into play even in your workplace, right? Even in your jobs. Um, I know a, a, a man who... What is serving now as an executive pastor. It's the role that I have here. And so I, I lean on his wisdom a lot in terms of what he does and how he does it. And I asked him how he got that position because it seems obvious that this was not his first career. And I said, what did you used to do? And he said, I used to be the administrator of a hospital. <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I, don't, I don't have that in my background. That's not my resume. And I said, how did they get you away from the hospital to come work for the church? He said, it was a big ask. He said, uh, I have given up hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary because there's no way the church obviously can pay me what I was making as a hospital administrator. He said, but when the pastor came to me, this was his question, this was his big ask. If you come work for me, how many more people will be in heaven because of what you do than if you stay at your job where you're at? He said, that's it. That's all I had to hear. That's all I had to hear. And it's like, because that pastor was not afraid to ask somebody who was super well employed. And sometimes we have been hindered by that, right? I'm anticipating that it's like, oh, we've got some, we've got some spots that we need to hire. It's like, oh, I'd love to have that person, but I bet they make too much money. They wouldn't be interested. And I'm like, you know what? You never know what somebody's job satisfaction is. You never know if they've been wrestling with God and saying, listen, if anything else comes along, I'd take it. Do you know what I mean? You have no idea. It's worth asking and seeing if God's going to do something in that place. We can never anticipate somebody's no for them. Some of the best hires we had walked in the door and said, listen, you cannot afford me, but I still want to do it. I still want to work here. 
because they knew that that was God was calling them to. If you don't make the big ask, then you miss, then you miss that, right? So that can happen anywhere in, um, in your workplace or wherever you are. The expectation of no means I miss out on what God might be actually doing in that person for his church. For that matter, this even drifts all the way down to our volunteer teams. There are times when we need people on volunteer teams to do stuff, and, and we're afraid to ask people who are already busy, already serving in certain places. And it occurred to me as I've been studying and, and thinking about how God treats equality and justice, I was like, Jesus was never really working that hard on having everybody be equal. As a matter of fact, he continues to tell parables of like the three talents, of the talents, right? The one guy's given one talent, the one guy's given two talents, the one guy's given five, and then the, the owner goes away and he comes back and he says, what have you done with it? The guy with five doubled it, the guy with two doubled it, and the guy with one did nothing. And it's like nobody was given the exact same thing, but whatever you were given, you were expected to do something with that. And the, and the person, so if we're sitting in here going, I just feel like a one talent person. And so I, I'm not really doing anything. And God is saying, what are you doing with the, with the gift that I give? It may not be as much as somebody over there, but you need to be doing something with that. On the other hand, if you're somebody over here and you're a 10 talent person and you're just phoning it in and you're still, you know, putting in five talents worth of stuff and everybody's impressed. The reality is you could be doing a whole lot more and you're not because you're just phoning it in. Whatever God has given us is what we're expected to work with. That's, that's what we're expected to, to use. And sometimes we're, we're afraid to do that. Highly capable people can handle more than the average bear. So don't miss out by playing some weird justice scale in your head and thinking that, you know, it isn't fair to ask more of them. Because while three things may throw me off the rail, it may take 30 things to throw you over the rail because God has placed that kind of ability and managerial skill in you. And then finally, Jesus makes the big ask. This is why we can do it, because Jesus demonstrated it. I love the way he called his initial disciples. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees a couple fishermen who were dutifully employed, doing work with a family business, and he says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Same work, different target. Same skill, different measure of success. Redirection. Nehemiah was a gifted administrator in the palace, and God will use him into governing Judea and administrating that whole rebuilding project. Levi is a, a tax collector who Jesus calls in Matthew 9. It says Jesus went on from there and saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. It doesn't appear that Jesus does a big interview process. It doesn't appear that he explains what all they're buying into. He's just like making the call. He's like, come on, follow me. Are you coming? Calls him out of a successful job. He doesn't go, well, I think Matthew's pretty well employed right there. He might, I don't think he's going to make as much money following me around as he's going to make at that tax collector booth. I better not ask him. No, he goes ahead and asks him. He makes the big ask. Why are we so afraid? To make the big ask. Why are we so afraid to just invite someone to church? Maybe they look like their life's all together, but I hear testimony after testimony of people who look like they have it all together who don't. And they're like, I needed Jesus. I needed somebody to just invite me to come and to hear, to hear from God, to come into a church community and to have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Let's come to our feet as we finish up this morning. 
In a few moments, the, the worship team's going to play one more song, and during that time, you can come forward and ask any of these people who are standing up here to pray over you. But, but here are the specific questions that I was thinking of today that God brought to my heart. There's some people in here who've never really said yes to Jesus. Maybe you have been coming with your family to church all your life. Maybe you look like somebody who's been, you know, a Christian since you were little and you've been baptized and done all the things, but you know, you know deep down you've never truly said yes to Jesus. So I want you to imagine this morning, if you could see Jesus in the flesh up here right now, and he just looked out at you in your eyes and said, follow me. Would you come? Would you come? No answers about what the future holds? Just come follow me. If that's you this morning and you want to follow him for the first time, would you come up this morning and let somebody up here pray with you over that? Is there anybody? If your heart's beating really hard and fast and you feel like you just, you know, wish I would quit, that might be you. Here's my other one. Is God asking you, is he inviting you to make a big ask? And you've been holding out on that. And you're just unsure. You're just unsure. As I was talking about making a big ask, what came to mind for you? Were you thinking about something that God has placed on your heart and it's been heavy on you and you've been resisting it for some reason because it doesn't seem reasonable, it doesn't seem like it makes sense, you don't know if it's God, you want him to remind you of that? Why don't you come up and let somebody pray over you as you consider what that might be? You can come up at any time during this next song and, uh, and do that. What would it mean for you to give Jesus your best yes this morning? Pray with me before we sing this song. God, thank you. Thank you for being an example of what it means to just <laughs> freely and without concern for what it looks like, ask us to leave ir in just in irrational ways, God, to come and follow you. To not do, to just avoid the regular life that everybody is, is expecting us to do, and yet we know that you have a call on our life or you are, have put something heavy on us that you want us to respond to. There's something that's weighing on us. Maybe it's not weighing on anybody else, but it's weighing on us, and you, you have done that, and we want to respond. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts this morning, that you would allow people to just be tender enough to hear that and to be courageous enough to respond. We ask all these things in your name.